tourists. Welcome to episode three of Queer Travel Chat. Hello, hello. My name is Austin. I am one of, one of your co-hosts and joined by David, the other co-host. I'm David. And today we are welcoming a special guest speaker, Stevie Tran, who, Stevie, you can go ahead and unmute and introduce yourself or at least say hello. Hello. <laughs> I'll, I'll introduce her. Um, first, Austin, do you want to tell them about Colin, how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you new to Colin, which is mostly everyone since it's a pretty new app, Colin is a social podcasting app. So you can listen live to our weekly shows and you can even join the conversation. Uh, if at any time you have questions or want to make a comment, you can join the caller queue in the bottom right hand corner. There's a phone icon. You can tap that. You'll be moved into the caller queue, and then we'll um, we'll let you answer, uh, ask questions at any point. So, um, just want to say thanks to our live listeners. We see you down there, and um, we'll go ahead and get into the details of the episode. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about some of the issues transgender travelers face while abroad. And to help us with that, our uh, good friend Stevie Tran has uh, agreed to take time from her day to discuss this topic with us. Although I'm sure she uh, could be doing better things with her time making the world a better place, or planning her upcoming trip to Europe that I know she has. Uh, a little bit about Stevie. She's currently a member of the Transgender Advisory Group for the International LGBTQ Plus Travel Association, uh, or Travel Foundation, right? The IGLTA Foundation. It's the foundation, the charity side of IGLTA. Thank exactly. Uh, she's a partner at Tran Aerosmith, which is a Phoenix-based law firm with LGBT legal issues as one of its focuses. She advised she has advised numerous institutions and organizations on transgender inclusion and developing policies on diversity and non-discrimination. Discrimination. And although all of that sounds super impressive, we know she's just a simple girl who loves video games and kittens. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> correct. What do you think of that? <laughs> did, did we do the intro justice? Yeah, that was such a great introduction. Thanks so much for having me on Colin. Um, <laughs> Before we get to you, Stevie, Austin's still going to make a quick mention of our hosted trips we have this year. Austin? Yeah, just like we've done on every episode, we just want to remind everyone that we are hosting uh, three trips in 2022 to Spain, Greece, and Croatia. Greece and Croatia are sailing trips. The other trip is a land tour to Barcelona and Spain. So we'd love to have you. We invite all of our friends and followers to join. Just go to twobadtourist.com if you want to learn more info. So with that said... I'm going to turn it back over to David. Okay, and we just want to remind you that if you enjoy our show, Career Travel Chat, please subscribe to it on Colin. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're always at Too Bad Tourists. And lastly, feel free to leave us any comments on our Colin episodes or on our social media profiles about what you want to hear more of. Um, so, Austin, why are we even talking about trans travel? That is a really good question. So, um, just to set the tone a little bit, for those of you who maybe know us from before, from our blog, Too Bad Tourists, you'll know that our website and our blog really mostly focuses on uh, gay men. So we, we, of course, try to be inclusive and uh, try to include the LGBTQ plus community as much as possible. But the reality is we, we are two gay cis men and our blog is a blog. So that we kind of really share our experience. And one of the things we want to do on this podcast, and one of the reasons we called it Queer Travel Chat as opposed to Gay Travel Chat, is because we want to invite different guest speakers to our various episodes to really just get a different perspective 
than than we have. So uh, the reason we invited Stevie uh, on this episode is because Stevie uh, is a trans woman, and I really hope she'll be able to do a great job, <laughs> which I'm sure she will, uh, to talk about uh, just issues that the trans community faces, the non-binary community faces, um, because it's something that we personally don't uh, have an experience with. And if you turned into episode one, or if you haven't, please go ahead and listen to it because we think it's a great episode. Uh, after we introduced ourselves in that episode, we spent probably about 10 minutes talking about why the LGBT community really kind of has special needs uh, within tourism. And those really mainly had to do with safety and inclusion and really kind of feeling welcome. And those all really, um, they align exactly with the trans community, just that the trans community faces even more um, difficulties with those same issues and, and probably even more issues, you know, with safety to the point that many trans travelers probably specifically choose not to visit destinations because they, they just mm-hmm. wouldn't feel safe. So, well, so before we get into that, and I absolutely want to pick your brain on this CV and, and uh, get your opinion on everything and your perspective. Um, but let's start out with how the three of us even know each other. Um, Stevie, do you remember when we meet when we met? I mean, I know you yeah. know how we met, but well, I, I, obviously because I was part of the meeting. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we were. I was a freshman in college, um, young, and really not sure about what I was going getting myself into, especially because I didn't really have friends, and I was cu- just coming out to myself uh, at that time, and so. Um, I think that's when you both met me um, at Arizona State University in mm-hmm. Arizona. And um, it was through a fraternity, actually. Um, and we, I think, went to the first new member event together and then ended up uh, going through recruitment together. So Yeah, I forget that we were all in the same pledge class, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. The, we the funny, were, the really kind of interesting thing is you, me, and David all met on the same day. I think it was 2005. So that's yes. been 15, going on 16 years. That's in- incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we, we have a long history with Stevie, that's for sure. So uh, we started off, yeah, in our freshman year, we met through um, through Greek life, through our mm-hmm. fraternity and um, I think, you know, we also, there's a, you know, a lot of people in our organization, but I think you and Austin became close friends first. And then mm-hmm. later you and I became very close friends. Yeah. And so we've all just been very, very close friends for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And we've- I mean, oh, I was going to say kind of my experience um, and just transitioning. I mean, that definitely was a time where uh, my gender identity and gender expression started to change. Um, and I was identifying as genderqueer at the time. And so genderqueer is something, uh, an identity that kind of, uh, goes along with non gender non-binary, which I think is a, a more common term that people hear, but it's, for me, it was the rejection of the, the gender binary, um, because I thought that there were positive, um, aspects of, you know, being feminine and positive aspects of being masculine. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to be restricted or confined to just you know having to to live within masculinity with the label of boy and so I I pushed that away and kind of gave myself more freedom through the the identity of gender queer um but then and then we can talk about this um a little bit 
further in, but it mm-hmm. took me a while to um, actually identify as a trans woman um, because I didn't yeah. want to, to reconform to the binary. Okay. Um, after identifying as genderqueer, you know, for my entire college experience, it was very empowering to be able to kind of do the things that I wanted to do, adopt the things that I wanted, you know, so I was wearing makeup, I was kind of expressing myself a little bit more colorfully with, um, you know, the clothes that I was wearing. And so I thought, and I, I, I don't know if we've, you remember, I, but I'm sure we've had uh, very uh, intense discussions about kind of, um, you know, the pros and cons of re, I guess, identifying myself back as a trans woman and kind of my thoughts on kind of conforming back to the binary, which was a, a, a real struggle for me. Was that um, towards the end of college? End yeah. Of, like it was, junior, uh, senior year? It was actually after college, right before I was considering joining, um, going to law school. And I think it was a strategic um, decision on my part um, that kind of was, I think, based upon a bit of survival you know, mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that my application did not end up in the trash or the recycling bin um, because I was ready to put, um, you know, on my personal statements on my law school applications, I was ready to say that I was genderqueer. And one of the discussions that um, I remember having was that, you know, those within the legal profession are tend to be more conservative mm-hmm. um, and they, so they definitely, or, most likely would, wouldn't understand what genderqueer was if they, you know, read it on a piece of paper on a law school application. And so in a way to kind of increase my chances and not, not be rejected, um, I compromised um, and began identifying as a trans woman on paper in my law school applications. Um, so yeah, that was a really tough pill to swallow because I didn't want to conform um, I, but at the same time, um, like you touched on Austin, I think one of the things that really impacts the trans community is just survival. Um, right. so when we talk about travel, I think for a lot of trans people still, that seems, feels very distant and far off, almost like a luxury. Um, right. Yeah. That seems like, like a lot of parallels. That experience right there probably has a lot of parallels with just traveling, you know, yeah. and have form exactly well and just just before we segue into more of the travel questions i do just want to say you know even as you were struggling through that in the end of uh your college years and you were worrying about you know rejection from the next step i do just want to mention i mean in your graduating class you were selected as the what's the word convocation speaker the convocation speaker of the entire graduating class of arizona state university which is probably thousands of people Mm -hmm. and that was just so incredible for us to see you up there speaking as i guess at the time you identified more as gender queer as opposed to women and you were selected and that was just such a motivating speech so congratulations on that even though it was a long time ago i I still remember that yeah that was a special moment well so then why don't you tell us a little bit uh, more about what you're doing now yeah, so um, I'm based back in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and I have my own law firm. So like you mentioned, David, uh, kind of part of that law firm is serving the LGBT community here in Arizona. So we do kind of a regular name change clinic for the folks here in the state. 
um, as well as supporting queer folks, queer families, and family creation, family maintenance, um, issues that they may encounter in employment, housing, public accommodations. But I think something that has really um, it become a, a greater, I guess, risen to our consciousness recently is this um, idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's something that our law firm um, has really been focusing on um, pu and pushing that conversation forward kind of with our legal perspective. And so we've been working with various businesses, institutions to really analyze the way that they recruit their, their talent, um, think about the, the, the places that they look to recruit their talent, um, and then, you know, really uh, encouraging businesses and organizations to reflect on what they do to retain their talent. Um, and so it's a very different conversation for a lot of folks to challenge them to recruit more diverse and, um, and look in different places to bring in more diverse folks. Um, and then having to, to think on, on the flip side, once you actually have them in your organization, how do you keep them? Um, involved in contributing because they do bring value to your business. Um, so that's kind of the, the perspective that I bring, um, definitely with that trans and non-binary um, specialty as well. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, because you're working in DEI and I remember, I think just last month when I saw you, right, and you're visiting and you had to explain yeah. it was, it's like this new uh, kind of buzzword for me that I had to be caught up on. Mm -hmm. it, a lot of industries, I think, are just starting to re reassess how they, who they, who they, who works for their company, and how they cultivate and really, um, I guess, build up those those diverse, talented individuals. Excellent. Okay, so let's uh, dive into the travel aspect of your life. Yeah. Um, how did you start traveling? Where was the first place you went internationally? The first place I went internationally was Bangkok, um, and I was only there for about three to four days, which was way too short. Can but... I call lies on that? I don't even remember that. I don't remember that story. I feel like lies, the first place you went was Mexico. Oh, we consider that internationally. <laughs> That's right. We I were mean, all in the of Mexico. I call in, yeah. in college. Lies. Yes. Lies. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's true. That's true. okay. If you I'll want to correct all your answers, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> I, I think okay, it's because so, we drove there that it didn't feel international, right? You know, yeah. I know that we're from Arizona and it's not the most international feeling place, but I do think, uh, you know, it was, uh, I remember our trips there and, you know, you were gender queer when we went to Mexico. And I think yes. Holy it cow. was an experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can, I, I have thoughts about it at now as thinking, looking back on those moments, but <laughs> let's make that a different you, podcast episode entirely. Share anything I, about that? Or yeah, I, I, I mean, we, we visited the, the touristy parts like Rocky Point. I think another year we went back and did um, Rosarito but I was certainly uh, took very bold risks with my gender expression um, and probably was a little too hoochie. And part of me thought has been, has just always reflected. And I've just been like, I'm just so surprised that yeah. God, knock on wood, nothing happened to me. You, you we could were, have faced a lot of danger in those trips yes, actually, because you were so expressive. 
Yeah, uh, we were in very cis-normative, heteronormative bars. Yeah. There were definitely no gay bars, so we were in very Basically like posh. like spring break type yeah. places, right? Yeah, yeah. right. So on the one hand, I'm like, God, I what cojones, and also confidence. I'm like, I can't believe I was able to do that back then. But then also like, wow, that was yeah. Crazy. I mean, I. It was definitely risky. I look at it yeah. kind of two ways because, yeah, on one hand, it was really risky, and I can't believe, uh, you know, the that that happened. That you know, you were kind of uh, passing as a woman in in mm-hmm. Mexico, which is uh, on one hand, I think uh, risky, but on the other hand, I think great that you felt so open and expressive yeah. to do that. And right. I'm saddened that you have learned to to be more careful because you have mm-hmm. to to survive. But right. mm-hmm. You had to learn to hide more and to be more careful and cautious when you were at that time in your life, very open and expressive without thinking about those consequences. Mm So uh, yeah, good and bad, I guess. I will say, you know, I have the time, had the time in my life. I still think about that, that, uh, those trips fondly. And I swear I almost found love. I don't know if you were, (laughs) but I almost found love. I I think he almost found love too. If I remember right. Yeah. Beyonce's cousin, if <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. right, was well, the description yeah. you got. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you were talking about Bangkok, though. So um, outside of North America, Bangkok, mm-hmm. go on. Bangkok was my first outside of America, first big camp trip. Um, and I would never have considered it had, a, had I not, you know, had friends to travel with at first. Um, so I think that's something that uh, is unique to me. Um, is that I kind of am a uh, what a wimp? <laughs> I, I'm just, just trying to think of a, like a travel wimp. Um, and so the first few trips that I had to take, I had to travel with someone. So that was my first trip that I got invited on, um, and it was just just happened to be to Bangkok. So do you think is that kind of what jump started you traveling more? Because since then you have been traveling quite a lot, right? Yes, that was actually the reason why i was invited to bangkok was to kind of get me out of my shell and to Mm. show me that i can travel although what's funny is that i was supposed to pull out money when i landed in the bangkok airport um in order to buy like a sim card and catch like a taxi and so just my luck i didn't remember any of the pin numbers on any of my (laughs) debit cards so there was a good 30 minutes where I was sitting there in the Bangkok airport about to cry because I wasn't sure what to do. And I'm like, of course, my first international trip. Right. And I'm already about to cry. Yeah, well, those moments are terrifying. That's a really good segue to our next question, which is actually, I mean, besides forgetting your PIN numbers, what are like some of the other most stressful things uh, for you when you take an international trip or even domestic trip for that matter? Yeah, um, I think... Just generally, um, navigating public spaces is very awkward um, for me. And so kind of the assessment that I make is, is it worth it to go outside? What transaction do I have to do? Um, do I really have to run this errand today? Or can I like bundle it up so that I can only do it once? And so, you know, that's kind of annoying having to kind of assess, like, do I have to go outside? Um, but when I go to the airport, I would say going through security um, and those gendered those gendered spaces are certainly very nerve wracking. 
um especially in the u.s you have to like raise your hands and spread your legs and the like that space machine kind of spins around yeah um and so that in particular i think is a huge risk factor for trans folks because you go through and the box options are pink or blue like literally and so for trans people their bodies most oftentimes will not be seen as conforming to the male of that female expectation or kind of what the machine expects to read and so we oftentimes get flagged and so for me my experience as a trans woman um you know i would get the pink box going through and so sometimes my crotch area you know would get flagged Mm -hmm. um and then if i were to be scanned through as a boy you know, it would be the kind of the chest area then that would get flagged because then that would be anom- like an anomaly for <laughs> the boy scan. And so for trans bodies, I think it's it's almost like we there's something inherently dangerous about us, I guess. Um, or or it's not... Or Sorry. the perception, or I guess that's the perception that because our bodies just don't conform to these expectations, we go through security and then um, become like a safety threat because we have to go undergo like a second layer of scanning. Yeah, these machines, it seems like just completely, you know, forget your existence at all, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, I think, the crazy and sad part about that. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like if, before you even get on the plane to go where you're your destination is you're already facing like these stressful things that other people in the LGBT community don't face. And certainly, um, non, but certainly cis people would never face. So, um, that's a really interesting insight. Yeah. And then, Oh, I was going to mention just kind of a second experience going through security or checkpoints is kind Mm -hmm. of what gender markers you have on your documents. So Mm -hmm. for, for me, I thankfully have, female on all my documents and so that experience is a little bit more smooth but not every trans person might have the money or the, the means to be able to access a, an updated gender marker on their passport or their license or whatever document they use mm-hmm. going through security and so that always creates a risk um and so yeah there's definitely layers of to consider um when, when traveling through the airport domestically or in, internationally so you, uh, so can I specify this document? So your passport and your driver's license, you've had the gender mm-hmm. marker updated? Yep. My okay. birth certificate as well. And birth certificate. Okay, yep. so traveling internationally, as far as your uh, gender markers on your passport, you haven't had any problems or have you ever come across issues? Thankfully, no. I haven't had any issues because of my gender marker. Well, what's interesting is, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, you initially identified as genderqueer and then, you know, you, you didn't want to kind of force yourself into another binary, even though mm-hmm. it was, a, you know, the trans woman binary. You know, everything we're kind of talking about right now is still a little bit about the binary. And, yeah. and now more than ever, I mean, I think in the past two to three years, the conversation about non-binary identity is becoming really mainstream, thankfully, you know, for, for a lot of reasons. And I think there are more, um, you know, in the U.S. and around the world, at least in more progressive places, there are 
uh, abilities to identify, I think, with the gender X marker, basically a non-gender. And then Mm -hmm. that just adds a whole layer of complication, right? Yeah, and that's that's an issue that we're definitely discussing within the Transgender Advisory Group with the IGLTA Foundation, um, kind of looking into further into that issue, providing resources to the LGBT community, the, the travel community about how to support uh, non-binary and gender diverse folks who travel, because that's another consideration as well that I think about often, um, is that there's definitely an ex-gender marker here in the States um, that people can avail themselves of. Um, it's not fully um, consistent across all 50 states. I think we only have about half of them so far that recognize the gender marker X followed um, by the federal um, government. Um, is that is that to represent non-binary? Um, so depending on, it depends on, on the definition, but yes, non-binary X is non-binary for the most part. Some states, I think, kind of use it as like a catch-all for everything that isn't male or female or like a potpourri category. But um, yes, the X gender marker. It's like none of the above, basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so something I think about is, although X may be coming more and more common in the States, I know that um, within the advisory group, there was a a Thai um, member from Thailand, I believe, who talked about how Thailand also recognizes kind of a third gender. But then even then, that doesn't really solve the problem because when you travel internationally, depending on your destination location, they may or may not recognize or understand what an X means. Right, right. Um, And so I think about that too, just because you can get an X on one document, then all your other documents are now potentially inconsistent. And then Mm -hmm. you have to rely on folks wherever you go being able to understand that an X is actually a valid marker on your passport or your license and that it's not something right. that should be flagged or, or um, a cause for concern. Um, and right. so that's a little bit of what I think about. I feel like someone might go through an X and that might be flag, flag security and be like, X doesn't exist. What is this? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, well, it's a really good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back up just a little bit and talk a little bit more about the the IGLTA Trans Advisory Council. So if you've been listening to our episodes up till this point, you know um, that aside from this podcast, my blog, my my day job is doing the marketing for IGLTA. And Stevie, you're of course a member of the Trans Trans Advisory Council yeah. for the foundation. And the foundation is the basically the charity arm of IGLTA. And so. Um, essentially, the, the foundation focuses on three pillars, leadership, uh, research, and education. And so I, really the goal of this, I, I would be curious to hear what your sort of goals are, but I know within the organization, the goal is really just to create a set of um, policies and really just to advise the IGLTA and the industry at large, what sorts of things do we need to be thinking about in the travel community with regard to trans and non-binary travelers? Because I think, you know, for almost 40 years, IGLTA has been advocating 
we say for the LGBTQ plus community, which we certainly do, but but by and large, for most of those years, it's probably been more the gay and lesbian community. Um, as often is. Yeah, it, it, you know, this is just sort of the world we're living in. And, but, you know, as time goes on, we realize the community is larger and, you know, other people need a voice and other people need protection and inclusion. So I know that's sort of the foundation for what the, the council has been founded on. But I would mm-hmm. be really curious to know what... What well, if if you don't mind me saying, what's funny is I remember I I gave you um, we chatted about you potentially being on the the council, and I think at first you you said no, I don't want to be, <laughs> and then you came back and actually said actually maybe this sounds interesting. So I don't know. My first question is why did you say no, and then why did you say yes? But then what are your goals? <laughs> He's calling you out. <laughs> well, I I guess part of me is like I'm not I don't feel like an expert in in travel and in any way um i feel like i'm still a baby um as far as spreading my travel wings um and so i get i think that's part of the hesitation is just and i don't know if that's something that we all feel in some sort of sense within the lgbt community kind of that imposter syndrome like absolutely we don't know, yeah. we don't know as much as the people around us and so we have to try like 110 times harder so yeah that that yeah. kind of has was my perspective a little bit um i've only just started traveling so what do i know um but after we i think we had some conversations i think my perspective i i wanted to join because my perspective is still important i think because a lot of trans people are probably in a similar position they probably also have not traveled but probably want to they may be still young in their travel careers and so um, if I could share some of my experience and some of even my expertise kind of that with that DEI background to the advisory council, you know, maybe something beneficial could come out of it that could also benefit me when I travel. Can I go back a little bit and ask about like going back to the gender markers on uh, our travel documents and, and our passport specifically, I'm curious on your perspective or, if you if it has come up in your IGLTA Trans Advisory Council meetings, like, um, what is the goal? What do you think the ideal goal is for this? Do we want to have more uh, like gender marker options? Do we want to get mm-hmm. rid of gender markers? Like, what is what, what's the ideal situation? Um, I think that's still in discussion. Um, the Trans Advisory Council is still pretty young, um, and so. I think that we had our first kind of meet and greet, and we'll be having our second. Uh, meeting so you haven't soon. solved this problem entirely. <laughs> no, us. we have we have we have not. Unfortunately, we have not yet solved this problem. But I, I promise, maybe by the next meeting, we'll have we'll have the solution completely fixed. It is so funny. Like when you really kind of back up and think about it, it's like, why do people need to know your gender? Like. Do these people need to know whether I stand up to pee or sit down to pee? Like, why mm-hmm. do they need to know? What what information that's, is that going to help I'm them? Curious. Like, maybe the solution is just getting rid of yeah, them just, entirely. We're, we're just people. Yes. So, um, I solved yeah. it. You're welcome. Just go back to the meeting. <laughs> tell everyone David fixed it. <laughs> okay, Stevie, um, talking more about uh, your travel experiences, well, what are some helpful resources that you use when planning a trip? What kind of research do you do ahead of time? Yeah. Um, so I guess I can talk about my upcoming trip. So I'm planning uh, about three and a half weeks to Portugal and Spain next month. I'm very excited. So what I've been using for, for those uh, to prep for that trip has actually been 
like the local tourist passes that various cities have. So for example, um, I will be in Porto and there's something called a Porto card that I guess tourists can pay and like it's loaded on like travel and like admission to some locations. Um, And I use that as a resource only to really identify like what are the most popular places to see in the city because they have an accompanying guide and they look they basically have a map and it's like Mm -hmm. 60 places in the city for you to visit and so for me i use that as a way to just to narrow down like oh here are all the places i should see potentially see you mean Um, you didn't go to too bad tourist.com and look (laughs) at our porto gay travel guide (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe oh. it didn't because it's called a gay travel guide and not an LGBTQ plus travel guide. I, I I think it was a little too far down in the Google search results. Yeah. So, oh. Oh. <laughs> we need to we us, need to up our SEO get game. Us where it hurts. <laughs> you know what? So that way of planning your trip, you know, using whatever kind of um, tour package thing they already have, yeah, like Cinepack, uh It reminds me of kind of one of the. I'm embarrassed to admit it. Ways I like to travel is sometimes the red bus, <laughs> the double decker sightseeing bus. Yeah, you know the sight the hop on hop off. It does the yeah. hop on. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like, as as travel bloggers, we should not. <laughs> be, we're not supposed to I like love, them. I love those, but they really just you know knock out all the main sites in one day, yeah. and you get an introduction to the city, and then you can uh, take what you like and and go in deeper from there. So it kind of seems like a similar way i i I understand that you would do that yeah Um, and so oh go ahead okay so um what about um deciding what about like safety do you do a lot of research ahead of time to make sure that you will be safe and welcomed as a trans traveler in the destination that you're going to that's a great question um how much consideration do you give it but do you have a great answer (laughs) or do you not Um, that's fine if you don't actually I actually don't have a, a great answer to that. I mean, I think my safety assessment first impacts kind of where I would travel. So um, there are certain parts of the country where I think are just like off limits, um, probably certain parts of the Middle East. Um, I pro- just would not go. Um, I think that once I, like, for example, once I chose Portugal and Spain, um it's all a wash at that point. And so I just am going to do what's the the main sites in those cities. Um, and, and, but that's also something I've been thinking about too, like how I'm perceived overseas as a tourist um, versus how I'm perceived here in the States. Um, and I don't know how to balance that yet. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is like here, uh, you know, I, see myself as an Asian American trans woman mm-hmm. um, led led first by my trans identity uh, most times because I feel like being trans especially in the states is just kind of a huge risk factor especially in the, today's current environment and so I actually lead with my trans identity most times to the detriment I think of considering mm-hmm. the fact that I'm Asian American and you know talking about having this conversation during COVID, I think anti-Asian sentiment has certainly gone up. And so there's been moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I forget that like when I go to the grocery store, people 
perceive me as probably Asian as an Asian woman and how that, you know, impacts things during the times of COVID. And then when I'm overseas, I'm like, am I first perceived as a tourist? Am I first perceived as like an Asian American or like as an Asian person? Um, and I wonder yeah, if the trans has ever kind of tr- translated in conversation. I feel like people first, when they interact with me overseas, it's like, oh, this is a tourist, international person, can't speak, I cannot speak English with them. Um, <laughs> and that's that's kind of the nature of the transaction. Um, and I don't know if there's time or really the trans ever comes into it. Yeah, okay, so it's not kind of like at the forefront of your mind because no. of your already foreigner identity. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, anti-Asian hate has gone up everywhere in mm-hmm. around the world because uh, of the pandemic. So I think, you know, that's something that you have to be aware of everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even I know that we've had conversations before in Spain and I'm like, is it? Because I think kind of the stereotype and I don't know if I'm, if I should be mentioning stereotypes. I feel like a lot of Asians in Spain are kind of con- uh, owners of convenience stores and that's kind of what they're known for. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, and I, I don't know what I was telling you, I'm like, oh, I always wonder, like, if I have, as like this Asian girl just wandering around Spain by herself, like, are people like weirded out that like, shouldn't she be in a convenience store? Like, where's the rest of her people? <laughs> I mean, you've been here before. I mean, how was your experience? <laughs> I mean, did you n- notice anything? Like, were you treated other? I mean, you're a foreigner. No. So you were, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the the biggest piece was like, my Spanish is horrific and trying to speak <laughs> Spanish to, to people is, is that's the, the number one challenge, but it, Can, it's just so interesting to think about. Cause I'm like the, the way, you know, Spanish people perceive me is going to not totally not the same as how Americans would see. Uh, me. Okay. And I, I want to pick your brain about one other destination that you've been to, uh, which I imagine is your favorite uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. And I, just to ask you overall, how was your experience traveling there as as a foreigner, as an Asian traveler, as a trans woman, whatever identity, you know, how was that experience? Did... Hello, hello? It was, yeah, it was very... <laughs> I really don't know. Like, was I it a positive been... experience? Did you... I mean, first of all, I love Japan, so it was absolutely incredible. The food is amazing, and you can just literally stuff your face all day, every day. So that piece was, like, undeniably incredible. Um, I think one of the weird things for me, like, being in Asia is, like, it was this kind of similar experience when I was in Bangkok. I was like, this is one of the few times in my life where I feel like I look like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really, I guess, jarring for me to be kind of in the majority um, being in an Asian country and looking like everyone else. So that was some some of my consideration. I'm like, oh, can they tell that I'm like, am I not Japanese? Can they tell that I'm not Thai? And I'm like, probably they can probably tell because I look like a tourist. Um, <laughs> but, well, especially if I was sitting right next to you. <laughs> yes. Um, but also um, to your credit, and I think it gives you credit when you're in Japan, uh, is that you speak Japanese. Yes. And I so, think that that's very well, uh, very much appreciated. Yes. Um, I think trying to speak the language, even in Spain, if you try to speak the language, people appreciate it. Yes. Um, I'm just n- not very good with my Spanish 
That's good. I think you're a lot better than you give yourself credit for. But you know our deal. You hold my hand in Japan and I'll hold your hand in Spain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Stevie, do you have any uh, last remarks, anything that you want to share that we didn't ask you? Um, yeah, I guess something that I realized, I'm starting to realize, is that travel doesn't have to be expensive. And so I think maybe that's kind of thoughts for my trans and gender diverse peeps. Um, <laughs> that travel doesn't have to be expensive. Um, you just have to look for the deals and the sales for me. Um, I've mainly traveled in the off season and that's because that's what I can afford, but you know, at least I can travel. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's something that I think about, I'm not really, don't have a great answer on, but I mean, safety is always going to be a consideration, but I think being able to just reflect on your experience, how you navigate different spaces internationally overseas and is really good um, because it gets me out of my comfort zone and challenges me not to think too much about, I think, my trans identity and how that doesn't always, is not always the predominant or the leading identity um, most of the time. I think that's a great last thought. Yeah, it is. And I'm, you know, we've been talking about this topic for about 40 minutes. And I mean, it's such a complicated issue. I mean, we're not going to do it justice I, I in, in 40 minutes. It. I think <laughs> we're not going to do world. it justice in 40 minutes. But I do just want to thank you, Stevie, for coming on to this episode and sharing your insights. Um, you know, not only as an advisor, as an LGBT uh, lawyer, um, but also more than anything, a traveler and an international mm-hmm. traveler. Because I think, you know, anyone who might be part of the trans or non-binary community who listens to this later, I think is really just going to um, respect your responses and your thoughts, you know, more than we could ever do because we just, you know, we don't come from that uh, viewpoint. So so thank you for, for joining us. Thank you so Absolutely. much. So if uh, you like the show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel, Queer Travel Chat on Colin. Um, Be sure to like our episodes. Once it's published, you can even leave a comment. We typically publish the episode a a day or two uh, later. So, And you can also be sure to follow us on all the social medias. We're always at Too Bad Tourists. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or even on TikTok. We don't really do much there, but we're there if you want to find us. Um, please don't hesitate to contact us, of course, at TooBadTourist.com. We will be back next week for another live episode uh, at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, 7 p.m. CET, which is 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next week, we'll be talking to Gabby and Fabia. They have a travel blog, and they are an expat couple uh from brazil who have lived in barcelona a long time and we're gonna get their perspective on the queer side of barcelona exactly and then specifically the the lesbian side and the really the experience for women in barcelona and and actually they live in brazil now just to maybe talk a bit about what their experience is there so please join us next week on tuesday so thanks everyone for listening and we'll speak next week bye